You're listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry at First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas, 67024. We've got a Bible. Uh, we're still in Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13. We're going to be a couple different places this morning, but Acts 13 is our base. So if you've got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 13. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is in the business of bringing freedom to men and women all over the world. Men and women, boys and girls. And we've seen that in this place. We've seen how God has done a work in hearts in the lives of men and women, transform them from the people that they used to be into the people that God wants them to be. So um, he's in the business of bringing freedom. It's globally, man, it's not just isolated to this area. Every place. We heard about last week in Africa how men and women are being saved and drawn to the Savior by the preaching and the proclamation of the Word of God. And listen, like this this is what's so amazing is that when, when man fell, when Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, God had every right to destroy Adam and Eve. But he, he didn't do that. Amen? He, he didn't destroy Adam and Eve. He decided to make a pathway to freedom, to reconciliation to, and to redemption, to bring them back to where they're supposed to be. Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes in Galatians verse 1 of chapter 5, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Slavery to what? Sin. So Christ in his sovereignty and in his mighty wisdom grants us the ability and the pathway to find forgiveness of our sins and have our transgressions to be completely wiped away and, and taken away by the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, in Acts chapter 13, he opens his mouth and he declares in the synagogues to the gathering of those the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's this magician... There's this magician that shows up and that has had some influence and some power in the town where this is at. And we see um, that he he openly opposes the message of the gospel. So Barnabas and Saul have quite an interaction. And we're going to look at verse, uh, we're going to start in verse 4. And we're going to look at, uh, we're going to read through here. And so... And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit to the synagogue and in to Sicilius, and from there they were called Cyprus, or called to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews, and they had and they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Patmos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So notice he's a false prophet that's, that's attempting to look like the real thing. He's calling himself what? Bar-Jesus. Not the real Jesus, but he's Bar-Jesus. And so 
Um, he was with the proconsul of Sejurius C- the Paul- Paulus, a man of inten- and intelligence, and he su- he's the one who summoned or asked for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So this false prophet is with this guy that's a, that is hanging. They're all hanging out together, and he's got some intelligence. He's got some worldly knowledge. He's got some understanding of things, and he's called for Barnabas and Paul to come in and preach the word of God. He wants to hear the word of God, but. Elymas, the magician, for this is what his name meant, opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So, shocker, false prophet wants to get people not to believe the true gospel. And that's happening even today. We've got false prophets who are trying to get people to believe. Um, I just thought it was interesting. I saw this this week. This is side notes on in my notes, but I saw this this week. Um, with all of the craziness that's going on in the world, with inflation, with all this, um, Benny Hinn gets up with all the faith healers on TBN and said, now more than ever is the time that we need to be giving. You want real protection? You got to give to God. And by give to God, he means give to his ministry specifically. (laughs) And so we've got false healers, false prophets lined up in line on television saying, listen, you want the real protection of God? Don't invest in the stock market. Don't put your money in investments. You need to give to God. And they use the word God, but then like the bottom, here's our shipping, here, here's our mailing address, mail your checks, put your credit cards in here, bup, 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 let's go. And I thought that was interesting that we've, it's still happening today. We've got False, magici- false magicians and false prophets on television doing the exact same things that Bar-Jesus and these other false prophets are, were doing in this day. Saying, listen, you want real protection? This is what you got to do. And so when the gospel is proclaimed, he opposes, he opposes them, seeking to, to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked intently at him. Man, this is, this is terrifying. Paul, and I don't want Paul to look intently at me. <laughs> Paul looks intently at him and said, you son of the devil. You son, like that's a, that's a strong term, amen? You, you son of the devil, you enemy of all that's righteous, full of deceit and villainy. You will, you, you're nonstop. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? That's a, that's quite an indictment. Amen. And now behold, the hand of the God, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blinded and unable to see for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when they saw that what had occurred, for he, they were astonished at the teachings of the Lord. So what happens? They're preaching. Saul's preaching the gospel. He's he's trying to proclaim the gospel. This false prophet comes in and says, "No, this actually isn't it." And he does a, just a, a. They have an intense um, argument, and Paul is full of the Holy Spirit and says, "Actually, you're a son of the devil, and you're going down." You're going to have your eyesight taken from you for a season. And immediately, like this is where I would begin to be like, man, okay, maybe I'm on the wrong path. Maybe I'm doing what I shouldn't be doing. Maybe I'm, like if immediately Saul looks at me and he's like, Caleb, you're son of the devil and you are going to lose your eyesight. Boom. And I'm like, I'm blind. 
immediately I'm going to be like, man, I, oops, oops, I've made the wrong decision. Listen, nothing of this world can contend with the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has the final authority in everything. Jesus has the final authority in everything. And so nothing's going to be able to contend with the power of the gospel. So the next thing we see, starting in verse 13, is that Paul and his companions, they leave and they go to preach the gospel in other places. They end up going to to Perga and to Antioch, and they preach in the synagogue. And, And I want you to notice in the text here how this starts. Now it says, Paul and his companions, verse 13, they sailed from Patmos over to Perga in Palamia, and John left them and returned back to Jerusalem, and they went on to Perga and called to Antioch in uh, Pisidia. I apologize. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down, and after reading from the law, after reading from the law, this is vital, they read from the law of the prophets and the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and and motioned with his hands and said, men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. And then he begins to just unpack the gospel for the rest of the text. And then he, he, he just unpacks the gospel. And I want you to notice how they started. They started by the reading of the law. That is vital for us in the church. In order for the good news to be good, we've got to hear the bad news. The law is given to us by God. The law is given to us as a schoolmaster. According to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says that the law is given to us So that we have the knowledge of sin. It's like a schoolmaster that teaches us the error of our ways. It's like a mirror that exposes us for who we are. Why do we look in the mirror? We're checking for flaws before... Darren, I know you got in the mirror this morning. You were really checking things out, right? Yeah, we were. So Darren's checking things out. Why do we look in the mirror? Gotta make make sure there's not a booger somewhere. Got something, right? We're looking for the defects. That's the idea of the law. The law is given to us as a mirror so that we see the defects. The knowledge of sin is given to us by the law, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. And without the law, there is no knowledge of sin. The law, the Ten Commandments, gives us the understanding of our need for Christ. So then Paul starts, we got the law as the base, and they said, brothers, anybody got any encouragement? Paul's like, yeah, I got something. (laughs) I got something for you. Listen, brothers. Listen, and he unpacks the gospel. And then in verse 38, I want you guys to jump down to verse 38. And I want you to see what Paul does in verse 38. He says he unpacks and preaches the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for sinners. And then verse 38 says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, he's unpacked Jesus already, through this man, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is free from everything which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, so many of us in this day, or so many in this day, in this text, during this season, we're trying to achieve God's favor by keeping the law. 
They were trying to do what was necessary by keeping the law. And, and they were doing this to please God. They wanted God to be pleased with them. So they were like, okay, I'm going to do my dead level best. I'm going to white knuckle this. And I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to keep the law. And man, even to this day, people are still trying to please God by keeping the law. But they, they just won't admit that that's what they're doing. But when you ask somebody, hey, um, do you consider yourself to be a good person? They're quick to say yes. Well, yeah, I've never stolen anything. I've never, I mean, I'm a good person. I've never cheated on my taxes. I'm good to my wife. I'm, uh, you know, I'm faithful to this. I go here. I'm in this club. I'm in this thing. I'm a part of this organization. They start to tout what they do. The, the works of the law. The works of the law. And so they, they, they talk about what they've done in an attempt to keep the law. They, they give you this scenarios where they've done certain things. I've not stolen that much. I've not killed anybody. I've done this. I've done that. I've done this. And here's the fact. Self will keep you shackled down to sin. And trying to keep the law of God, the Ten Commandments, won't set you free. Rather, it will simply, it is simply going to be another tool that's going to shackle you down. The law, the Ten Commandments, were never meant to set you free. The law was never intended by God to set you free. It was intended by God to be given to the people of God so that they could understand their need for the one that could set them free. The one that sets you free is not the Ten Commandments. What sets you free is Christ. Amen? It's Christ that sets you free. It's the Ten Commandments that convicts you that you need Christ. Let's just take it a poll here. How many of you guys have ever told a lie? If you're not raising your hand, you're uh liar right how many guys have ever stolen anything okay how many guys have ever used god's name as a cuss word so by our own admission here this morning we're liars the whole we got a whole room full of liars thieves and blasphemers of god welcome right welcome that like that's the bad news every one of you in the room is guilty of of breaking the law and romans 6 23 says the wages of sin Breaking the law is what? Death. You and I deserve God's wrath because of what we have done. We've broken God's law. And, and, and trying to keep the law won't save you. It's, it's just going to be another form to shackle you down. The law of God was never meant to bring freedom. It was never a freedom-giving device. It's a schoolmaster that helps us see that we need Christ. Your deeds cannot set you free. You being a good person cannot set you free and give you eternal life. The only thing that could set you free is the work of Christ on the cross on your behalf. Christ taking your place. Christ stepping into and being the one who fulfills the law completely. You can't keep the law completely, but Christ did. And because Christ kept the law completely, he's perfect and he's the best and the only sacrifice that can give you access into real, genuine, actual freedom. That's it. And what happens is if you try to find any other pathway to freedom, you're going to find nothing but frustration and a lifestyle of bitterness. You're just going to be angry and bitter and just you can't do it. You were never designed by God to be able to do it because of the fallen nature of man in, in the we, that we live in. 
We live in a fallen nature. And here's what happens is the enemy, Satan, often will present you with counterfeit options or offers of freedom. Fake freedom. He'll make offers of freedom that says that, uh, that you'll never actually be able to achieve things. Or, I'm sorry. He will give you, he'll give you offers of freedom that can never be achieved. And it's just an out and out lie. That's what Satan is. He's the father of lies. But he's going to whisper to you things that are just, listen, um, those lies can feel real. Anybody in the room ever, ever had a lie whispered to you that felt real? Let's try this. Hey, you have the right to hold a grudge against them. They were, you, they were just awful to you. You've, you've got a right. You've got a right to hold that grudge. You've got a right to act that way because they treated you really, really bad. So you've got a right to do what you need to do. You take care of you. You guys ever heard that one? Yeah. That's a lie from the enemy. You have a right to hold a grudge. No, you don't. In fact, the scripture says if you don't forgive, your trespasses won't be forgiven you. That's pretty thick, right? If you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. That's what the Bible says. Paul, in this text, keeps pointing people to the fact that Jesus is the only way to find real life. And anything else, any other path, is going to lead to death and destruction. Paul is saying, listen, the Lord is the only way that you're going to break free from the sinfulness in your life. In fact, he echoes, Paul echoes Moses in Exodus chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, go just flip back from Acts and go back over to Exodus chapter 6. Because I want you guys to see this because Paul's echoing what Moses wrote in Exodus chapter 6. He wrote and he says in Exodus 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians." And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So that's, that's verses 6 through 8. 6 through 8. In verse 6, um, I am. it starts with, it says, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. The first thing I noticed when I read through the text, I saw this as I did my as I study of this. Um, God makes a declaration. He says, I am. When Moses interacted with God, he says, who should I tell them you are? When he's first, it sees God at the burning bush. He tells him when he says, go deliver my people. Get my people out of Egypt. He goes, who should I tell them sent? They're going to ask who's his name. What did he say? Tell them, I am that I am. You guys remember the Charlton, Charlton Heston movie, remember? Jesus, or Moses is at the burning bush and that big boomy voice comes out. Who should, I tell, who should I tell them sent me? I am that I am. So when he says, I am, I am, I am, it's a declaration that I am God. I am God. The implications of this fact are, are re 
iterated in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. He says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his, his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there are no other gods. That's one of the, just a side note. That's one of the verses I use when trying to evangelize Mormons because they believe they're going to be a, a god of their own planet one day. And women, guess what? You get to be eternally pregnant. Welcome to paradise. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, so if, when evangelizing Mormons, that's the text I use. I'm like, hey, listen, do you believe? And I ask them. And the, the missionaries are smart enough to know this. They say, hey, are you going to, you believe you're going to be a god of your own planet one day? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6 says, Besides me, there are no other gods. I'm, I'm the one that started this thing. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God. I am God, and there are no other gods. I am God, and there is none like me. So God makes this declaration in Exodus. I am God. I am God. So when God tells Moses, I am the Lord, he means that he is going to take back the seat. And, and he's, he's, he tells Moses, listen, I'm, I'm the driver. You don't even need to get in the back seat. Go ahead and get in the trunk and I'll get you where you need to go. You don't need uh, those, those, those bumper stickers that are just theologically horrific. Jesus is my co-pilot. Listen, brother, if Jesus is your co-pilot, you're in trouble. He better be the pilot and you better just sit back and don't just get in the back and don't say a word. Let him drive. Amen. Don't don't let anything else. So God tells Moses, I'm the Lord. and He means it. He, he's he's not going to take a back seat or a side seat to anyone else. He is preeminent. He is tops. He is of first importance. We would do well to remember this fact that God is actually God and we're not. Amen? Um, R.C. Sproul once said, Most Christians salute the sovereignty of God, but believe in the sovereignty of man. We salute the idea that God's sovereign, but we like to, our deeds say something different. We give lip service to the fact that God is sovereign over all things, but our actions say otherwise. We worry when the scripture tells us not to worry. The scripture gives us over and over references. Hey, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. But what do we do? Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, the economy. Oh, the price of oil. I can promise you, in the the economy of heaven and eternity, oil isn't going to be a thing. You ain't going to be driving a car. You know, the price of gold, we don't have to worry about gold. It's pavement in heaven. It's pavement in heaven. That, that just, I still think that the most cherished thing that human beings hold to, God says it's just asphalt. <laughs> like that just blows my mind sometimes. We worry when the scripture tells us not to worry. Worry shouldn't have any place in a believer's life. We need to understand that God is God and He deserves our worship. Amen? So let's keep going. So the, the fact that God is God, look at what He'll do for those who believe. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So I want you to see something else in this text. 
And this, I found this interesting. God says, I will, seven times. You know what the number seven means in God's economy? Perfection. I will. He will. I will. Seven times in this short little verse. This is to remind the nation of Israel that his promises to them, that he has a promise to them, and that that, that promise, those promises that he has for them, will be completed. The number seven is one of God's favorite numbers and is a number of completeness or perfection. So his promise to those who believe here is that he will perfectly and completely redeem his people. He'll perfectly and completely redeem you. Mm. What does he perfectly and, and completely do for his people? He brings them out from under the burden of the Egyptians. You see this in the text. You say, why is that important? What's, what's Egypt mean, Caleb? I'm glad you asked. Um, Egypt is always in the text. Anytime you see Egypt referenced in the Bible, Egypt is always a symbol of sin. It's constantly a symbol of sin. So if you want to take your pen and you want to write above the word Egyptians, my sin, and then reread that from, insert yourself there, he'll deliver you from the burden of your sin. A little different context, huh? right? Deliver you from slavery. Notice the imagery that's here. It is of being enslaved to sin. It is shackled down. I love that we sang, and can it be? He came in, he, he came in the dungeon, flamed with light, and my chains fell off. Oh, that's such good imagery by that, that, that lyric that the hymnist wrote. That this beautiful thing that God does is he comes into the dungeon. You're enslaved to the sin of yourself. And you're in the dungeon of self. And Christ comes in with the light of the gospel. And he rips the chains off of you that cannot get the chains off of you. Oh, he delivers you from slavery. Sin will cause you to be its slave. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18 says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of the teachings that have now claimed your allegiances. Oh, I love that. You have been set free from sin and have become a slave to righteousness. Oh, you're, listen, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, you're a slave to either self and sin or you're a slave to Christ and righteousness. One will lead to life everlasting and one will lead to death everlasting. Period. But Paul writes there in Romans, thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the patterns of the teachings that now claim your allegiance. What claims the allegiances of believers? The gospel of Jesus. Amen? Oh, that's good stuff. Notice the pattern of being enslaved. This is the pattern that you're... you're by You're moving from enslavement. And now once you're in Christ, you move from that pattern of, of enslavement and you begin to move in a direction of freedom. What's it say? You've been set free from being a slave to sin and now you're in fused into being a slave to righteousness. Oh, that's good stuff. I love that wording. You've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching 
from that that has now the teachings that have now claimed your allegiance. When Christ gets a hold of you, you have no you have a new commander in chief. The new commander in chief comes in and he does a heart transplant. He takes the heart of stone and gives you a heart of beating flesh. Woo! What's the teaching? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God tells us in this text, he will bring you out from under the burden of your sins and he'll break the chains of your slavery and then you have, you have ultimate freedom. Keep going, let's keep going in Exodus 6. It says, I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. The imagery here is that he's rescuing, rescuing you from your sinful state and he's redeeming, reconciling, and bringing you back to where you belong. Putting you back to where you're supposed to be. Oh, that's such good stuff. That's verse 6. Verse 7 says, I'll take you to be, and I love this, I'll take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Here, here we go again. He's making more declarations here. He, he's telling us that you're going to be, you're mine. You're my people. You will, belo- you will be with him. You belong to him. You're with me. You're with me. I will take you to be my people and I, you will be, and I will be your God. Oh, this is so good. So, this, this reminisces back to Romans chapter 8, that great chapter, Romans chapter 8. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us graciously all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who is more than this. He's raised us. And now he's at the right hand of God. Indeed, he's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword. Man, I, I love this. And he keeps going in verse 36. For, it's for our sake that we're being killed all the day long. That we're regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No! N-O, not K-W-O, not K-W-O, but N-O. No, 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 no. In all things, don't worry about this. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I, I understand that the world right now is a frightening place. I understand that there's a lot of things going on. But God just told us this morning in this text that nothing is going to separate you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Like that text covers everything. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger of the sword. That's literally everything that you could ever worry about. Amen? Everything. Everything. God is God, and He is in charge over everything, and He's for His kids. This world cannot destroy His children. In all things, in all things, we are more than conquerors. By how, are we, how are we conquerors? Okay, well, I'm a conqueror because I'm an American. No, 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 no. You're a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved you. You're a conqueror because Christ conquered already. You're just a byproduct of His conquering. 
Woo, come on now. It's Christ that gets the glory, not Caleb, not you. All right, verse 8 of Exodus 6. I'll bring you out from on. I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And so, in context, this is directed to Israel. So, in context, this is Israel that he's talking about. But the application is to, that God's got a place for his people. God's got a place for his people. Amen? Um, he's got a home for his children. John chapter 14. Let. Not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back again. And I'm going to take you to myself. And where I am, you will always be there with me. Ooh. You're always going to be there with me. God's going to one day set all things right. And this homecoming is going to be the biggest, grandest homecoming you've ever seen. It's going to be the best family reunion. No one's going to be fighting. No, no fighting at that family reunion. It's going to be a blessed getting up morning. You who are in Christ have been promised an inheritance that words cannot even begin to, to, to describe. Ephesians chapter 1 gives us a, a, a glimpse into this. Verses 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of God's name. Oh, so, the, so this is what we have to look forward to. This is what you and I, as children of God, get to have to look forward to is that God is talking about here. He's talking, he's talking to you and I. He says, listen, I've got a place for my kids. I've got a home prepared for those who believe, who have repented of their sins, who have trusted me, who are with me. They're mine and I will be their God. Woo. That's good news. Amen. Amen. But what happens so often is you and I, get so consumed with the noise of this world and the harsh realities that we live in that so often we miss the message of hope. We miss, I mean, look at this. Seven different times God offers this message of hope to his people saying, listen, I'll deliver you. I can save you from your sins. I'll I'll change your life. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. I got a place for you. I got so much. And we miss the message of hope, just like the Jews did in Exodus 6. Look at verse 9 of Exodus 6. Moses thus tells the people, spoke to the people of Israel, telling him all these things. God will, God will, God will, God will, God will, God will, God will. Seven different times. I will completely save and redeem and reconcile you. But what happens, verse 9, 
But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. Listen, God's told you over and over and over again in his word that he can and will bring you the ultimate freedom that you could ever begin to hope to have from your sin and yourself and to rescue you and redeem you. But so many times we don't listen because the perspective that we are living in is that drives the reality of our lives. I'm going to try to do it myself. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be a church member. I'm going to go to Sunday school. Which, Listen, those are all good things, but those aren't the things that save you. The thing that saves you is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We, we have so many times we don't listen because that perspective of, well, I'm a good person, drives the reality of what we are. And then we've got men and women who are headed to the pits of hell, but they're not understanding that they don't have to. You don't have to. God's offered an offering of salvation. And we're like, yeah, I know, God, you've given me a, a, a beautiful offering of salvation, but I'm going to try over here. I'm just going to work hard. And guess what? You don't... Your hard work doesn't get you to heaven. All it's going to do is going to be an instrument used by God for judgment in your life. When you get to, when you get to heaven, Matthew chapter 7, and you say, well, God, I did this. I, 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 I cast the demons out in your name. I did mighty works in your name. And God's going to look at them plainly, according to Matthew 7, and say, I don't know who you are. Get out. How are you saved? By God's grace alone. How do, you, how do you find God's grace? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How do you get access to this stuff? How do you get access to God's forgiveness? Repent of your sins. 1 John 1, nine says, If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. Jesus Christ is the ultimate freedom giver. Don't listen to the voices around you in culture that are trying to tell you that God is something that, you, that, that has never been. Like This is the thing that we've got this giant thing that's happening in culture right now where all these leading Christians in culture are deconstructing from their faith. Oh, I'm leaving and I don't believe this anymore. Well, 1 John tells us that, man, at 2.19, that if we, God says, that if they left, if they would have been with us, they would have stayed with us. But because they left, it would make it plain that they never were with us. Somebody there's no such thing as losing your salvation. You just never had salvation to begin with. You just didn't. Like, don't listen to the voices around you in our world that are trying to tell us that God is something that He never was to be, never, never intended to be in the first place. He is the sovereign King who deserves your worship, and He's the King who loves you. He loves you. How do you know that, Caleb? Because the Bible says so. Back to Acts, the last part, back where we were, Acts chapter 13, verse 38 through 39. Let it be known. Therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus Christ, 
Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The forgiveness of your sins in this room this morning have been proclaimed to you. And by Him, everyone who believes is free. Everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Stop trying to keep God's law because you can't. Trust and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. When you trust and obey the Lord Jesus Christ, everything that's needed to achieve the, 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 the accomplishment of the law is done through the work of Christ on His cross. The law can't set you free, but Jesus can. Amen? Let's stand together. Oh, what a day. Amen? Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word to bring freedom, ultimate freedom in our lives. God, help us to see your word for what it is. Help us to trust your word. Help us to trust in your finished work on the cross. God, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know who you are, I pray that they would repent and believe the gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry of First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarville, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarville, Kansas 67024. God bless you.